Our scripture for today comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 1 through 7. If you'd like to open your Bible app or your Bible and join me in the reading. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been granted to the churches of Macedonia. For during a severe ordeal of affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For as I can testify, they voluntarily gave according to their means and even beyond their means, begging us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in this ministry to the saints. And this, not merely as we had expected, they gave themselves first to the Lord and by the will of God to us, so that we might urge Titus that as he had already made a beginning, so he should also complete this generous undertaking among you. Now, as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in utmost eagerness, and in our love for you. So we want you to excel also in this generous understaking. Let us hear where the Holy Spirit leads today. this, our third week in Leave the Light On series, our text that I read is written by Paul to the church in Corinth. On one hand, it's a fundraising letter for the church and the poor in Jerusalem. And on the other hand, it's a witness to the faithfulness and the generosity of the church in Macedonia. He says, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in wealth of generosity on their part. You see, Paul did not write to the Church of Macedonia one of these fundraising letters because he thought that they had nothing left to give. He assumed that because of whatever their severe ordeal of affliction was, that they were too poor to help. This resulted in what we read here today, where the Macedonia people begged him to help with the poor and the church in Jerusalem. You see, benevolence isn't really about what's in the bank account. It's about what's in the heart. And Paul shares the story of the Macedonians to inspire the church of Corinth, the Corinthians, to see how rich they already are in God's grace. So one of the things that I've been doing uh, the last couple of weeks is working on Advent, which I know you guys aren't really thinking about that yet, but Nisa Locke had saved several of the Advent devotional booklets that many of our church members had written devotions in, and so we've been reading those and pulling some to share in this year's Advent devotional book. And so I came across a story that we did not choose to include in the Advent devotionals, but is so wonderful and powerful and perfect for today's sermon on benevolence 
that I wanted to share this story with you. And it is titled, The Rich People in Church, and it is written by a woman named Edie Ogden. And she wrote this in 1946. I'll never forget Easter 1946. I was 14 and my little sister, Aussie, was 12 and my older sister, Darlene, 16. We lived at home with our mother and the four of us knew what it was like to do without things. My dad had died five years before, leaving my mother with seven school-age kids to raise and no money. By 1946, my older sisters and brothers had moved out and left home. A month before Easter, our minister at the church announced that we were having a special Easter offering that would be taken up to help a poor family. And he asked everyone to save and to give sacrificially. When we got home, we talked about what we could do. One of the things we decided was we could buy 50 pounds of potatoes and live on that for the next month. And that would give us $20 of our grocery money for the offering. When we thought that if we kept our electric lights off as much as possible and we didn't listen to the radio, then we could save money on our electric bill. Darlene got as many houses and yard cleaning jobs as possible, and both of us babysat everyone we could. And for 15 cents, we could buy enough cotton loops to make a homemade hot pot holder, and we sold 20 of those hot pot holders for $1 a piece. That month was one of the best of our lives. Every day, we counted the money to see how much we had saved. At night, we'd sit in the dark and we would talk about how this poor family was going to enjoy having the money that the church would give them. We had about 80 people in the church, so we figured whatever amount of money that we had to give, the offering would surely be 20 times that much. After all, on Sunday, the minister had reminded everyone to save for the sacrificial offering. The day before Easter, Aussie and I walked to the grocery store, and we got the manager to give us three crisp $20 bills and a $10 bill for all of the change that we had saved. We ran all the way home to show Mom and Darlene we had never had so much money before. That night, we were so excited we could hardly sleep, and we didn't care that we didn't have new clothes for Easter because we had saved $70 for the sacrificial offering. Now, I want to pause for a moment in the story because in 2020, $70 doesn't seem like a, a lot of money. So I googled what the value of a dollar was in 1946, and I want you to know that that amount that they raised would have been $1,074 today. We could hardly wait to get to church. On Sunday morning, it was pouring rain, and we didn't own an umbrella, and it was a one-mile walk from our home to church, but it didn't seem to matter how wet that we got. Darlene had to put cardboard in her shoes because she had holes and trying to keep her feet dry, but they got so wet. 
But we sat in church proudly. We heard some teenagers talking about how we had on their old dresses. I looked at them in their new clothes, but I felt rich. When the sacrificial offering was taken, we were sitting on the second row from the front. Mom put in her $10 bill, and we each put in our crisp new $20 bills. I want to stop in the middle of the story just to talk for a moment about this family. We have heard indications in the story that they are clearly not wealthy. Some may have thought that they had nothing to give for the sacrificial offering, just like Paul falsely assumed that the church in Macedonia had nothing to give for the poor in Jerusalem. But benevolence, much to my surprise, is not defined as monetary. I looked up the definition because I wanted to make sure I got it right, and it's very simply kindness. And both the church in Macedonia and this family in 1946 were abundant in kindness. They wanted to be part of what God was doing. Paul writes that this gift of grace that causes this gratitude to God and the sacrificial response. Giving is based on who God is and what God does and what it means to be a believer in that. Now I want you to hear the rest of the story. As we walked home from church, we sang all the way. At lunch, mom surprised us because she had bought a dozen eggs and cooked them. So we had eggs with our fried potatoes. Late that afternoon, the minister drove up in his car and mom went to the door and talked with him. And she came back with an envelope in her hand. We asked what it was, but she didn't say a word. She opened the envelope and out fell three crisp $20 bills, one $10 bill, and 17 $1 bills. Mom put the money back in the envelope. We didn't talk. We just sat there and stared at the floor. We kids had such a happy life, and we loved having the mom and the dad that we had and a house full of brothers and sisters and friends coming in and out. We thought it was fun to share the silverware and to see who got the spoon or the fork that night. We had two knives, and we just passed them around, and everybody needed them. I knew that we had a lot of didn't have a lot of things that other people had, but I had never thought that we were poor. That Easter day, I found out that we were. The minister had brought us the money for the poor, so we must be poor. I didn't like being poor. I looked at my dress and my worn out shoes and I felt so ashamed. I never wanted to go back to church again. Everyone there probably saw us as poor. I thought about school. I was in the ninth grade, and I was the top student in my class of 100. And I wondered if the kids at school knew that we were poor. And I decided that I could quit school, but you only had to go till eighth grade, and that was the law. We sat in silence for a long time, 
And then it got dark and we went to bed. All that week, we girls went to school and came home, but nobody talked much. Finally, on Saturday, Mom asked us what we wanted to do with the money. What did poor people do with that much money? We didn't know. We had never known that we were poor. We didn't want to go to church on Sunday, but Mom made us go. And though it was a sunny day, we didn't talk on the way. Mom started to sing, and nobody joined her, so she only sang one verse. At church, we had a missionary speaker, and he talked about how churches in Africa made buildings out of sun-dried bricks, and they needed money to buy roofs. He said $100 would put a roof on a church, and the minister said, Can't we all sacrifice to help these poor people? And we looked at each other and we smiled for the first time that week. Mom reached in her purse and pulled out the envelope. She passed it to Darlene. Darlene gave it to me and I handed it to Aussie. And Aussie put it in the offering. And when the offering was counted, the minister announced it was a little over $100, and the missionary was so excited. He had not expected such a large offering from our small church. And he said, you must have some very rich people in your church. (laughs) And suddenly it struck us, we had given $87 of that over $100. We were the rich family in the church. Hadn't the missionary said so? From that day on, I've never been poor again. And I've always remembered how rich I am because I have Jesus. (laughs) Now, for people like Nisa and I, this is a real (laughs) tearjerker. We cry at a story like this. Feeling poor was a matter of the heart. The family felt so rich because they had each other and their love for Jesus. Friends, we are so often looking at what we don't have or what other people have that we do not, that we forget the abundance of what we do have. Even the very poor in our community and in our country are so much richer than so many in other countries. Having Faith and love provides a sense of security that make us feel rich. We learn that kind of generosity and strength and security in our homes. This is where generosity takes on flesh and where blessing is offered. But it's also the same place that we learn to protect and to hoard and to defend This is one of the most important lessons of faith that we can learn at our hearth. We all have a choice. Do we respond to God's grace with joyful benevolence or do we live in fear? This family that everyone else in their church looked at as poor was the richest one in that congregation because they got what Jesus taught about sacrificial love, and they responded. And what's so beautiful about it is they did it with joy. 
They celebrated when they didn't turn on the lights. They didn't complain they had to eat potatoes. They didn't grumble about how they were sacrificing to give, right? Their hearts overflowed. They celebrated all that they sacrificed in order to help. Verse four of our scripture today says the Macedonian church was begging us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in this ministry to the saints. I can, I've never preached on this text before. The verses directly after it are in the lectionary and I've just skipped over these scriptures and never really thought about them as I went to what was more important. But these scriptures have this beautiful witness the Greek word for sharing in this is defined as koinonia, which is the same word that we use when we talk about the communion table, this fellowship, a partnership with God and God's ministry. The other word in the scripture that I want you to know in Greek is dikonia. And it is the same word that in the Gospel of Mark is used to describe Jesus' ministry. So in this one sentence, we get this huge theological understanding that we are invited to be part of the ministry of Jesus Christ and that we are partners in that. This is what Christianity is about. It's not self-interest, not even enlightened self-interest. The life and death sacrificially of Jesus teaches us to get over ourselves. It leads us to a life filled with purpose and self-giving love. When we give of ourselves to other people, we give to God. And when we give to God, we give of ourselves to other people. When we love God with our heart, soul, and mind, we are rich beyond measure, and it overflows to those around us. And so we are being invited, just like the Church of Corinth by Paul. Do we want to be part of this koinonia, this partnership with God through this church and its missions and its ministry? Are we people who want to respond in fear? Or are we people who are so rich that we sacrifice in joy? That is our question for today. Amen.